the power of mindfulness. Hi, my name is Trina Glines, and this is Elevate Your Marriage and Life podcast. This podcast is for those who want to create happiness daily, even among the chaos that marriage and family life will bring. Get ready to elevate your marriage and life today. All right. Okay, ladies, today we have the pleasure to visit with Jory Rose, who is a licensed family and marriage therapist and has a master's degree in counseling and psychology. She is the founder of the Bay Area Mindfulness and Therapy Center located in Danville, which offers a range of therapy services for adults, as well as a variety of mindfulness and meditation classes. Jory has cultivated a deep personal practice and has extensive professional training in mindfulness. She speaks at numerous conferences, both locally and nationally, on the cultivation of implementation of mindfulness into all aspects of life, including mindfulness in education and mindful parenting. Jory currently lives in Northern California with her two daughters, She is passionate about being a mom, loves to cook, travel, and go on mindfulness retreats. She practices mindfulness on a daily basis and credits it to changing her life by giving her the tools to live authentically with greater peace and happiness and presence. Thanks for having me, Trina. Yes. I am so excited to share this with all of the ladies that I love, as well as anyone else that is wanting to learn more about what mindfulness is. And that's going to be my first question. Will you explain to us what mindfulness is? And also, is it different from meditation? Uh, Great questions. So thanks again, Trina, for having me. I'm so happy to share my knowledge and wisdom with all the people who follow you and learn from you. So it's a great melding of the minds and working together. So thanks again. Um, So mindfulness that you will most often hear a definition of being is mindfulness is about being in the present moment. But even that is a little bit vague because what does it mean to be in the present moment? If we're not in the present moment, well, where are we? Well, our minds wander about 47% of the time. So our mind wanders to the past, our mind wanders to the future, and also our minds wander to digital devices, which is our everyday distractions. So mindfulness, as I, when I'm working with kids, which I started off my practice in teaching kids mindfulness in schools, mindfulness, uh, as I define it, a one-word answer, is awareness. Um, When I'm working with adults, I lengthen that answer to living with greater awareness, attention, and intention. And so we are looking to be more aware of our habits, our patterns, getting off of autopilot, getting back into the driver's seat of our own life. Uh, You know, I mean, how many of us, we drive to work every day or we take our kids to school and we get there, we're like, wait a second, I don't remember having gotten here, how did I get here? Well, yeah, that happens in life, not just on your commute. Because we're just, we're on autopilot, we just go through the motions, we're not paying attention, we're not being aware. So living mindfully is living with greater awareness and noticing when you've wandered off and how to bring it back. Um, So there's a couple of different mindsets that we adopt when practicing mindfulness. 
One is a really hard one that so many of my clients struggle with, but it's one of the best ones we can learn from, which is how do we accept what's arising in the moment? Mm -hmm. Acceptance is huge. And when we can practice acceptance, it's the difference of, well, what if I don't like what's happening in the present moment? So that no wonder I want to wander off because I don't like this. Well, guess what? Not liking it doesn't make it go away. So, you know, another way that I define mindfulness is allowing whatever is arising to exist without judgment. Because mm -hmm. we so often are so quick to judge, that's good, that's bad. When really, it just is. So while we can't change what happens, we can't change what gets thrown at us, we can change our response to it. So this is all part of practicing mindfulness. Um, some other components and mindsets to adopt, uh, cultivating gratitude. The, the mind can't stay angry and grateful at the same time. Uh, having compassion, compassion for others, compassion for ourselves. Our Self-compassion is much harder than compassion for others. We're just not um, raised in a society in which we're allowed to give ourselves credit mm -hmm. or give our, cut ourselves some slack. So cultivating uh, self-compassion, um, really that I'm doing the best I can. I'm getting through one moment at a time. Um, practice of loving kindness, which is extending well wishes to your family, your friends, even people you don't like, which is a really hard practice, but it's actually really beneficial. We can come to a mindset of wishing well to others, even those who we struggle with. You know, again, we can't change what the outcome is, but we can change our response to it. Um, so mindfulness incorporates all these aspects and really it's a way of being. How do you want to move through the world? How do you want to move through the day? Do you want to move through not being aware, not paying attention, not knowing why you're doing what you're doing? Or do you want to practice awareness? So that's a pretty broad definition. Um, easier said than done, right? Yes, yes. It's a great <laughs> intention. And yet we constantly are wandering and so to me, the mindful moment is when we notice we've wandered off, we don't judge ourselves for it, and then we have the tools to bring ourselves back to our intention. So it's not about, you know, being a perfect little zombie and never having any difficult emotions or never getting distracted or never getting angry or never getting anxious. It's not about that. It's about when all of that does arise, how to not get stuck there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How to have the tools to notice where we get stuck and how to come back and regulate really our thoughts, regulate our emotions, not get overwhelmed by them because life happens, mm -hmm. life happens. Um, so you asked a second question there of the difference between meditation and mindfulness. And so mindfulness is rooted in Buddhist meditation practice. I teach completely secular mindfulness, which means that I rarely even actually use the word meditation unless I'm leading a meditation class. So I think um, it can be confusing. People don't understand, you know, what even is meditation. Um, sometimes I've had clients who feel like it conflicts with their religious mindset, which actually, to clarify, it doesn't at all really, you know, Buddhism is about the reduction of suffering of all beings. And mindfulness is about being more present, which I think is in alignment with any religion anybody is. Yes. Um, so I, I read a great book, actually, and it was, like, if you're going to be in church, practice being present while being in church, right? Just showing up to church doesn't mean you're actually there. Yeah. So mindfulness can help strengthen whatever it is of where you're meeting yourself at. So um, meditation is considered a more formal practice where you're creating space for stillness, for silence, 
um, usually focusing on the breath, allowing thoughts, well, that's the hope, allowing thoughts to just come and go. And whereas mindfulness is more of like uh, meditation off the cushion, so to speak, uh-huh. right? So taking those skills and implementing them in your everyday life. Um, a lot of people that I work with get confused with meditation because they're like, I feel like I'm supposed to have this really Zen-like experience where I feel calm and I feel peaceful and I just, my thoughts just go away. Okay, that likely doesn't happen for most of us because guess what? We're human. We're going to have thoughts. We get distracted. We're going to wander. We have emotions or ever all of a sudden everything starts to itch and scratch. And so really what the way that I teach it is when we're practicing meditation, we're simply giving space to be still, to be quiet, to focus on breathing in, breathing out and whatever arises, thoughts, emotions, sensations, distractions, We're just observing it and we're practicing having a different response to it. Because if we can practice noticing a thought and not getting stuck on it and carried away with that thought or noticing an emotion coming up and not letting it take over, if we can practice that during that stillness, that silence, we've just strengthened our brain to create a new habit. So when we're off the cushion and that comes up in everyday life, we now have a greater ability. We have a working model to access that tool. Awesome. Does that make sense? I hope yes, it does. It does. I really like the off the cushion, right? Yes. That, that was a visual that I could like perceive and be like, oh, yeah. okay. So you're taking mindfulness throughout the day. Absolutely. And that to me is one of the biggest pieces where people get stuck of, great, I can learn these tools. I can learn to be present. I can learn to focus on my breath. I can learn to be aware of when my mind begins to wander or when emotion starts to take over. The thoughts don't ever stop. But now what? Right? And so I like to help make that connection of not only here are these great tools that, by the way, are 2,500 years old, so they're time-tested. And the good news is neuroscience has backed it up. Modern Western neuroscience is telling us Here's what happens in the brain when you practice. So we can actually understand that we are capable of teaching an old dog new tricks, so to speak. We are capable of learning new habits and patterns at any age, which actually wasn't believed to be the case for many years. Mm -hmm. So this idea of neuroplasticity has given a lot of footing to mindfulness in the modern secular world because mindfulness in the healthcare system and education, mindfulness in the military is teaching us we have more power and control over our thoughts, our emotions, whatever is arising by practice, knowing what to do with them when they come up. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. And it, you know, it's really powerful to recognize we have the ability to rewire our brains. Mm -hmm. That if you are wired towards, towards anxiety, if you are wired towards depression, if you are wired towards feeling your emotions very deeply, great, that's who you are. We don't need to change you. Mm -hmm. But if it's not working for you, we can strengthen the skills and the tools to get you where you want to be. And and, and that's really mindfulness practice. It's awareness of where you're stuck, knowing that you have an ability to be able to shift out of that through practice, just like anything else. So uh, let's use this. Let's pretend we have a mom, a busy, busy mom. 
Yes. Which we both are, right? Yes. And I don't even mind if you use an own, your own personal example. Like as a busy mom, how can mindfulness benefit our day? And can you give me an example of it? Like say a mom's in the middle of running carpools and, and everything. How, how does she pull herself out of there and yes. do it? Can you give me an example so, of that? I, I'll give you a few, actually. Okay. I love, I love these questions. Like, oh, that sounds great. And my life is chaotic, right? Yes. Um, so I, I work with a lot of parents, and I, I love the mindful parenting piece because it has such practical application, right? I mean, we all have really good intentions, but we don't have the best execution. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've had parents say to me, my mindfulness practice is really great. I can really focus. I can really pay attention. I can be present. I can notice my distractions and bring my attention back up until the moment the kids get in the car. <laughs> and then it goes right out the window. Right? And then there's the, the, there's the questions and the talking and the homework and the noise and the chaos and the bedtime and the bath time and the dinner time. Like It's all chaos. And so moms, because we're human, we get triggered, we get frustrated, we react. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We're not role modeling the very behaviors we're wishing to get from our kids. So as far as mindful parenting, I talk a lot about how can we practice responding and not reacting. Mm-hmm. And that's huge because when we react, it is an automatic knee-jerk reaction. There's no intention. There is no awareness. Right. Remember, I said the three words I go off of is awareness, attention, and intention. Yeah. So, in order to be able to have those three things, we need to slow down. We need to practice the pause. And if we can practice the pause throughout the day, we have a greater ability of accessing the pause in the height of the moment. Mm. We can't wait to be super triggered to strengthen the skill. We've got to strengthen it when we're not triggered so we can access it when we are. So this is where coming into our our breath can be really helpful. Um, So I want to actually explain something really quick. I think your your viewers will find uh, beneficial in understanding because it'll give more, not credit, but it'll give more context to the examples I'm going to give with that busy mom. So it has a little bit to do with how the brain works. And I'm not a super sciencey person, but I can really comprehend this and understand this and teach it. And I think once we have this understanding, it changes everything. So there's a few things about the brain that will impact why does this matter? Like, why do these tools matter? Like you said, how is a busy mom? Why does this matter? So a couple of things. The center of our brain is where we have our emotional brain. So when any strong emotion fires off, it's coming from this part of our brain. There's something called the amygdala which is like the emotional alarm, which is gonna fire off. So any strong emotion. The reciprocal relationship of how our brain works is that when these emotions are firing off, it literally shuts down our prefrontal cortex. This is where we have executive functioning, reasoning, language, communication, rationality, decision-making, learning and retaining information. Uh, Guess what happens? (laughs) When you are angry right so you're firing off of your emotional brain this shuts down so let's say you're angry you say something you don't mean if you're stressed out you can't think straight if you're anxious your mind is all fuzzy if you're nervous you forget stuff that is simply your brain at work 
Nothing is wrong with any of you. Oh. Your brain is operating as it's supposed to. <laughs> okay, so, this, this is making me feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> so there's actually this great little model. So this is like the hand model of the brain. This is what our brain looks like, okay? So the emotional center is our thumb and our fingers is that prefrontal cortex. So when our emotional center fires off, it like flips our lid because this is like going crazy inside your brain and it flips up all of that executive functioning, right? <laughs> so when we have the awareness to notice we're stuck in that emotional brain, we need to calm it down. So two of the best ways to calm down the emotional brain is one, taking deep breaths. If you take a deep breath, it literally activates a nerve in the base of your spine that travels up your spinal cord and presses on the part of your brain to calm you down. Literally. Wow. Because when we're activated, our fight, flight, freeze response is, being where we're, is what's being activated. That deep breath, when your diaphragm expands, when you breathe, and that it activates the nerve at the base of your spine, it's called the vagus nerve, it literally hits the button on the rest and digest part of our brain. So when you notice yourself as that busy, crazed mom, feeling get really triggered, and generally you're gonna notice a physiological response, right? You're gonna feel it in your body when you get activated, annoyed, frustrated, angry, overwhelmed, overtired, nervous. You feel it somewhere in your body. So you've got a couple of indications, if you're paying attention, of what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. So as a busy mom, as a way to role model this to kids, I will tell moms to be able to say what's happening inside of them and say, wow, you know what, you guys, I'm feeling myself getting really overwhelmed right now by the noise, the mess, the distress, whatever it is, the fighting, the arguing, the tan temper tantrum. Wow, I'm noticing I'm getting really upset right now or I'm feeling my blood start to boil or I can feel myself get angry. So you know what? I don't want to say something that I don't mean. So I'm going to take a minute and I'm just going to calm myself down. And if they can literally and take a deep breath, that pause calms down the brain, allows them to access that prefrontal cortex and get that executive functioning back to work. And now they're operating from intention. And they've role modeled to their kids what to do. That's so powerful. It's huge. So the breath is one really powerful way. Another way, studies show that naming what's arising, kind of like I just did in that past example, naming it, quiets down that amygdala. So even to be able to say, wow, I'm really getting angry right now, it like throws the monkey wrench into the reaction mm -hmm. cycle from going on its own. Because mm -hmm. by naming it is an inherent pause. And it's almost like you are then observing what's happening versus being in the middle of what's happening, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And now that you can observe it, you can decide, oh, I'm getting angry. What do I want to do about that? I have a choice here. Mm -hmm. I can react, which likely is not going to be super skillful and only get me and my kid more frustrated. Or I can respond in a way that I can maybe have some compassion or greater empathy or be curious. Wow, what's going on right now, you guys? Yeah. Um, another really important thing about the brain is understanding that we are designed to focus on the negative. Yeah. 
Our brains, for evolutionary purposes, are designed to focus on the negative, and it's called negativity bias. So back in caveman days, if there was a bear in the cave, or if there was 10 fish over there in the sea, you could go fish and you know, feed your family, what are you gonna focus on the most? The bear, it's yeah. self-protective. Mm -hmm. Modern day analogy, if you're given one criticism or 10 compliments, mm. what are you gonna remember the most? Oh. The criticism, mm -hmm. it's self-protective. So our brains are designed to focus on the negative. So what is one of the ways we can counteract that? We gotta fight an uphill battle to focus on the positive. So we can't change what we're not aware of. So we have to be aware that we're even stuck on the negative because we could just go off on everything that's not going right. And the last piece about the brain is neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more attention you give a thought, neurons connect strengthening that thought into your neural code, becoming part of your implicit way of being. So if you're stuck on the negative and you focus on the negative and you give attention to the negative, guess how you're going to feel? Yeah. Uh, That's simply how our brain is designed. So when we can increase awareness and be like, oh, look at that. I'm stuck on the negative. I need to shift my mind's attention to focusing on the positive. Where do I focus on? Gratitude compassion, self-compassion, loving kindness, being back in the present moment, what is versus what if, huge, yeah. right? I like that. Write that one down. Yes, what, what is. What is versus what if. And when we can practice that, we're calming down that emotional brain. So back to your question about what do moms do when they're crazed? Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> When your kids are fighting and arguing, having a tantrum, not wanting to do their homework, not wanting to go to bed, this is what I tell moms. It's gonna be my assumption, you became a mother by choice. And so the majority of us did. Very well knowing this chaos is gonna ensue. And one day, your house is gonna be really quiet. And so when your house gets really quiet, you're gonna miss the noise, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the options is even in the chaos, choose gratitude, because it's not gonna last forever. Mm -hmm. You brought this into your life on purpose. Mm -hmm. And yeah, life is messy. It's not gonna go in a straight line. And I, you know, I, I was teaching a class on gratitude and this older gentleman started to cry and said, I got into such a big argument with my wife this morning but I'm so grateful I have her to argue with. Mm. It's beautiful, mm -hmm. right? The mind can't stay angry and grateful at the same time. So when we're stuck on that negative, we have to have the awareness that we're stuck and how to shift our attention. It's huge. So as moms, as busy moms, if we could find moments in our day for ourselves, which I know is hard to carve out at times, but they're there. Those moments are there. You just got to use them to your advantage to slow down, connect with your breath, breathe in, breathe out, allow whatever emotion is arising and just look at it, observe it and exhale it out. Mm -hmm. Just because the thoughts there doesn't mean you have to believe it, right? Just because the emotions yes. doesn't mean it has to take over. When you can practice this throughout your day, your brain literally is rewiring for new habits. Wow. So when you're triggered with your kids, when you're overwhelmed, 
you have a greater ability to respond in a more intentional way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, this is so resonating with me. I know I've talked a lot with my group of women about the narrative that's constantly going in our heads. And I feel like yes. this is exactly following, going with that, like choosing to change the narrative, choosing to be mindful of, yes. you know, naming those thoughts and, cha and changing them. We, I have a little thing where I say, name it to tame it. Yes. <laughs> so well, and now you understand that there's actually scientific backing. To yes. The scientific <laughs> is that when it's, it's the amygdala that you're calming down, it's that emotional alarm. And when you name it, you inherently distance yourself from it. And there's a couple of examples that I think are really helpful. Like back, back in the 80s, they changed the way that they did therapy with anorexics. It's super subtle, but it's really powerful. Instead of having them say, I'm anorexic, the shift was, I have anorexia. Mm -hmm. When you can say something in a way that doesn't define you, I'm angry. Okay, are you anything but angry? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just a piece of what you're experiencing in that moment. So when you name it, you are creating a different relationship to it. Mm -hmm. I'll say it one additional way. I was working with a young girl who was 11 at the time, who had a lot of anxiety, and she described her anxiety as like being in the center of a tornado, which I loved the visual because it, it was visceral. I could see what that tornado felt like, right? I said, I'm not here to deny the tornado. It's what's here. It's what you're experiencing. But let's see if you can step outside of the tornado and be the weatherman commentating on it. Describe it, look at it, observe it. That's the creating of the observer mind that gives that space, that pause, that allows us to respond and not react. Oh, That's mindfulness. That is. I, and I love that example that kind of flows right into where I was going with like, you know, when we have children, we're living in such an anxious world. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, just that perfect example of you sharing that with the 11 year, my, you know, my in a tornado and stepping outside of it. Do you have any other thoughts on how parents can help children who do have anxieties at school and, and how to work their way through it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things we as parents want to do, because we care so darn much, is we want to fix what's going on for our kids. And we can't. And I think, you know, when we see our kids upset, we want to just make that go away. And rather, and I've got two daughters, so I live this, right? My, my girls are 14 and 12 next week. And, you know, we can't, protect them. We can't keep them in a bubble. And so a couple of things I think, you know, to do is one is to just have a ton of empathy and compassion without pretending like you can fix the problem. Right? So what does that look like in conversation when your kid comes home and all upset about a friend or, a, you know, a, the social issues or the pressures of academics, just sitting with them in it and just helping name it. Yeah. It is really hard when your friends are excluding you. I remember that feeling, and that's really painful. Because mm -hmm. really what kids want is to feel validated, heard, and understood. Yes. And what do we as women want in our relationships? We want to feel validated, heard, and understood. Right? 
So you very well know that when you go to your partner and you go to express yourself and they come up with a solution to fix, to fix it. And all you want to do is like be heard or be given a hug. It's no different with our kids. Yeah. We're trying to fix them and they just want to be listened to. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing that I talk a lot with parents about is discipline and behaviors because we get triggered by negative behavior. And it's a tendency to just give a consequence, which I don't know about you, but when I, you know, giving a timeout, taking away a toy, maybe temporarily shifted the behavior, but never led to long-term behavior change. And I really began to shift how I parented in those moments, recognizing that by just going to focus on the negative behavior and focusing on the consequence does nothing to empathically and compassionately connect. You're missing the mark on connecting with your kid in their greatest moment of need. I'm not saying ignore the negative behavior. We'll come back to it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we still have to have discipline and boundaries and rules and expectations. That's part of raising an adaptable adult, right? We need to teach yeah. them how to be part of the world. But we also wanna teach them how to get through those moments. Can I share a quick story with you about how to highlight this? Yes. So this is one of my favorite examples of challenging parenting moments and how to be a more mindful parent in those difficult moments. And for any of you listening out there, if, this if any piece of this story resonates with you, I don't want you to enter into any judgment <laughs> on yourself. I want you to recognize you're human. But I also want to bring awareness to the ability to parent with greater presence, compassion, empathy, calm. So here, here's the scenario. And this actually is a true story of a client from years ago. Family of four, uh, two daughters out on a Sunday family walk. And uh, the older daughter holding the dog's leash and the younger daughter wanting a turn. The older daughter didn't want to give up the leash. Went into a full-blown tantrum, essentially ruining the family walk, right? Yes. The mother was really triggered, really upset, says to her tantruming child, I don't like this behavior. I can't be around it. Like, I, I don't like you when you act this way. I can't be around you when you're screaming and having a tantrum. And I'm going to walk away until you come down and then I'll come back. Not horrible parenting by any sense of the word, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to create the space. So in trying to help this mother figure out, because it didn't actually solve the problem, she says, what do you think? I said, well, you just judged your child for having an emotion she didn't know how to express. You just told her you don't like her when she's expressing an emotion she doesn't know how to express. And you walked away from her rather than guiding and teaching her how to get through it. So you abandoned her in her greatest time of need. I said, it's not up to you to like it or not. It's your job to help her through that moment. And I share this story with almost all the parents I work with. And I often, when I speak at conferences, I have mothers in tears. And I'm not trying to get parents to cry, but I do want to touch a heartstring around awareness of the subtlety of messages when we're not entering into enough empathy and compassion with our kids because we're stuck on judgment and reacting. And 
so, you know, it's that moment where I would say to that kid, look, I'm, I'm not giving permission to the tantrum, but I'm speaking to the emotion. Wow, it is so overwhelming when you have to share. Wow, it is so hard for you to give up your turn. You know, I've had times like that in my life. I totally get it. So we're, we're naming what's happening to them. Name it to tame it for the kid, right? Mm -hmm. So we're naming their experience. And now what do they feel? Validated, heard, and understood. Yeah, mom, you get it. So when you can compassionately connect in that moment of your kid's greatest need, that is a lot of our own practice of our own non-reactivity, our own non-judgment, our own presence, our own centering, which is going to come when we can practice these skills off the cushion, right? Yes. Yes. Right? So it's an example like that where the subtlety of responding versus reacting is really highlighted, mm -hmm. right? She's not a bad mom by any means. The message is unskillful for long-term creation of connection and keeping that door of communication open. Wow. Wow. Because that's... guess what, guess what happens when that kid is 15 and she has some really strong emotions. What is the message she's learned? My mom only likes me when I'm happy. She wants to be around me when I'm only feeling good. And if I'm not, she walks away. So guess what that kid's going to do? Not going to communicate when anything real is going on. Oh, so that to me is a crux of mindful parenting. Mm -hmm. Oh, that. I can see it's touching your heartstrings. You get that. Yes. Yes. That hits a lot of heartstrings having, you know, I have five kids and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I, yeah, I could have done, should have done a lot of should have, so, you know, stop shitting on yourself. Yes. Right? I love that. Entering into judgment or getting ruminating in the past doesn't serve anything, but to keep us stuck because remember the negativity bias, we're going to stay stuck on that. Yep, true. So this is where we can counteract the judgment with compassion. Yeah. Like, yeah compassionate. Parenting is really hard. Parenting so. is really, really hard work and there's no rule book for it. It's so I want to write one, by the way. Yes, I think you should. I mean, you just really touched me. That was a really, like, perfect little yeah. explanation. I like, painted the picture of, yeah. yeah, that was that was actually really a touching teaching moment. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And that's, that's why I tell it, because it's so ubiquitous mm -hmm. in our reactions and how they just don't serve us long term and ultimately don't serve the parent child relationship, mm -hmm. you know, and the same could be said for the spousal relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And when we can momentarily put aside the negative behavior and enter through curiosity, gee, I wonder what's going on for you. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you one last thing about that piece with the mindful parenting. If you ask a kid what's wrong, what are they going to say? I don't know. Because honestly, yes. they don't know. Mm -hmm. They're not taught how to name and communicate their emotions. We're not taught that. Mm -hmm. So what I like to guide mothers into doing is to be curious and have like an inquiry process of, gee, I'm wondering if you're feeling jealous fill in the blank. If you're hungry, if you're overwhelmed, I wonder if you're tired. Gee, I wonder if your feelings were hurt, whatever it is. If you can go through this inquiry of being curious with compassion, 
when your kid is acting out, rather than just give them a mm -hmm. consequence, mm -hmm. you are role modeling to them self-reflection, number one. But also, they're going to tell you, no, mom, that's not it. They're going to know what they don't feel. Nope, nope, that's not it. Mm -hmm. When you start to touch on what they do feel, they'll either get quiet or they'll say, yeah, that's it. Wow, that's now, once again, they'll feel validated, heard, and understood because you haven't reacted to a behavior. Mm -hmm. You'll go back to the behavior, believe me, right? You, you yeah, have a natural consequence when there needs to be one. But I've done this with my kids, Trina, and I've got a 14-year-old. And let me tell you, my entire parenting shifted when I started practicing these tools. I could not be closer with my girls mm -hmm. than anything mm -hmm. and they're still teenagers and that doesn't mean that they don't act out that doesn't mean that I don't get reactive mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah. we're all still human yeah but my skill is what I practice mm -hmm. and as a result we're really close and open communication because she knows I'm not gonna judge I'm there I'm present I will, you know, have compassion, empathy, be listening with an open heart and an open mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just throwing around consequences because of, you know, a little minor thing. It's not about a hierarchical power. Yeah. And it's not a democracy either. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's about teaching the emotional regulation, the emotional awareness. And that all comes from the root of mindfulness practice. Well, this is so connecting. I, I just recently had to um, do a talk on depression and uh just kind of a personal level and i watched a ted talk that talked about how we're so it was a it was a therapist like yourself how we're so concerned with our physical bodies taking care of our physical bodies our physical hygiene everything he goes what are we doing to teach our children emotional hygiene how to handle oh, yeah. emotional and this this just like all parallel this just 100 yes. percent. yes it's amazing amazing so i hope this gives um you know the ladies who are watching some really good tools and uh you know i'm happy to continue to be a resource in mindfulness because i think it's skills that we need yes. to cultivate oh and the new book that you mentioned that i just had came out it's called mindfulness it's elementary it's a 12 lesson guide in guiding a child through mindfulness practice. And there's a lengthy introduction. So someone who doesn't have their own practice wouldn't, you know, it gives a good solid basis of understanding, excuse me. And so they could have a script to lead someone through a practice and it'd be great for parents and kids to do together. Oh. Make it a joint practice. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, I want, well, first, thank you. Thank You're you very welcome. so much. I have learned so much and I have all these things clicking in my mind, all these Good. connecting. Yes. And the fact that you explained the way the brain is working and I'm normal. <laughs> well, and that's why I, I, that's really why I explained it in such depth because I want people to understand, Oh wait, my mind is doing exactly what my mind does. Yeah. My brain is human. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing I have to fix. Yeah. Right. We're all wired differently, but we can understand that basis. We now are empowered mm -hmm. to work with it, not, not having it be against us. Oh, I love it. Um, I want to just end with, I loved what you said, practice the pause. 
I think if we can do that in our lives on a daily, almost could be moment to moment basis, depending on our stress levels, um, but it kind of follows. I would love for you just to end on, um, I know you have an ABCs of mindfulness. Yes. And I think the pause is in that a little bit. And so would you share what the ABCs of mindfulness is? Yeah, it's, you know, I love simple ways of explaining things because I think the easier, if if it's simple for me, I'm assuming it's going to be simple for someone else. (laughs) Um, So the ABCs of mindfulness is, as I've defined it, this is what I've come up with, is awareness, breath, choice. That number one, you, it's all about awareness. You can't change what you're not aware of. So you have to be aware of your triggers. You've got to be aware of your reactions, aware of the emotions, the thoughts that are coming up inside of you, aware of when your mind has wandered and you need to bring it back. Then you take the breath. That's going to calm down the brain. Remember, it literally calms down the brain. It's going to calm down the body. If you can say the words breathing in, breathing out inside your mind, your mind can't be distracted and have a thought at the same time because you're giving your mind a task to focus on. So breathing. Now that you've calmed down the brain, calmed down the body, now you've got a choice. Mm-hmm. I can go back and being stuck, which is familiar, it's habit, it's pattern, but it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. Or I can create a new choice, yeah. right? Somewhere that's going to get me to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I love this. It's about choosing to live with intention. Yes. Right? Yes. That's, that's the name of the game. It really is. Which is why I define it, you know, awareness, attention, intention. If you can have greater of any of those three things, your life is going to be a lot easier because you have the ability to respond, not react to what's arising. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Oh, this has been a valuable few minutes with you. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I am so grateful. I am so grateful. And like I said, I will add all of your, um, how people can get in contact with you because you, you do offer mindfulness, like they don't need to be in your area, correct? No, not at all. I'm getting more of that up online. So that's okay. Funny. And what I can also um, offer to you is that Take a Mindful Minute booklet is a, a little booklet for parents and kids. And I have a PDF of that I can get to you. Ooh. So if any of your women watching would like to download that, they can have access to that. Oh, that would be great. That would be awesome. I would love to share that with them. Great. Jory, you have been so kind. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for having me. Yes, it has been great. And I look forward to more conversations with you. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found that this episode was helpful to you in any way, please share it with your friends and family. And I would love it if you would leave a review. My goal is to try and reach as many individuals as possible to share with them that they do not have to settle, that there is a better way. Just the majority of us were never taught the tools to create the connection and the happiness that we desire in our life and in our relationships. So my goal is to help individuals learn some tools to be able to create their heart's desires. I hope you have a great week. Thank you again for joining me today. We will see you next week.